Hey guys, welcome back. Welcome to another episode of In the Trenches. Thanks for joining. In this interview, I have the chance of interviewing Rob Meltzer and his daughter Marley. And it's a really unique story. Um, I'll start with Rob. He's a longtime educational consultant. He's a therapist. He's, he's taught at Prescott College. He actually has a fondness for wilderness, founded the Wilderness Therapy Symposium, which is uh, a fantastic thing. All the wilderness programs, we get together twice a year, collaborate on best practices, how to do our jobs better, and how to help more people. Um, that's Rob's background. You can imagine what it was like for Rob when he realized that his teenage daughter needed a wilderness program. And Marley tells in this interview her story of going back to wilderness actually three times. The ups and downs of that, why it wasn't working, why it was working, and what she needed to do to get to where she is today. And she's in a great spot right now. And so I'll let, I'll let her tell that part of the story but you guys this is a really unique insight to a family's journey through wilderness in the therapeutic process um, that can be really painful and scary and a lot of things and exciting and and you know they they just really paint a good picture of what that's like on the parent side and on the child side in every way so thanks for joining uh, i hope you enjoy and uh please keep following comment share um share this with people that that could benefit from it okay uh rob and marley welcome to the podcast thanks so much for joining how are you guys doing today doing well andrew nice to be here thank you yeah i'm doing good and uh where are you all coming from i know rob you're in colorado marley i am in bend oregon in Oregon, all right, my my Western United States peeps. I'm I'm a Utah boy, so uh, uh, you're you're close to home for me. Um, so Marley, um, you know, I talked to Rob a while ago and said, "Hey, would do you think Marley'd be interested in being on my podcast?" And he said, "I think she'd be thrilled." So I'm I'm really glad you're here, both of you, to talk about your story. Um, as I heard it you know, a year ago in Asheville when, when you guys presented at the Wilderness Symposium. Um, Marley, maybe we could just start with, if you feel comfortable sharing, like why you went to a wilderness program and kind of how that happened for you. Um, well, I went to Second Nature Blue Ridge three times. Um, the first time was pretty typical, like, my parents had kind of done everything they could think of. I was only 13 at the time and they, it was, you know, I was, um, the whole deal woken up in the middle of the night and taken out by the escorts and taken to Georgia. And it was totally not by choice. And I totally didn't want to be there the first time. And the first time I went was more for like depression, trauma issues um, and then I went back a year later for... Can I cut you off, Marley, real yeah, quick? Yeah, yeah. So, so were, you, were you pissed off <laughs> with that process? And have you made peace with it or did you make peace with it? Because I know a lot of parents and for a lot of young people, you know, this is, this is a, a real, you know, touchy point. Do you have some perspective on that for families that might be in this situation or have gone through it recently? Yeah, um, I was very angry, <laughs> and I hated my parents because of it, 
and it was it was really confusing and really alarming at the time and really upsetting and i was angry about it for i don't even remember how long i don't want to say that long um my perspective on it now is like it was such a little thing in the broader like story i don't really i don't really have any feeling towards it anymore and i think by the first by the first time that i left wilderness i didn't really care because wilderness turned out to be such an awesome experience i ended up loving it so much that uh i didn't really care how i got there i was just glad that i was there cool cool thank you so you're saying about your your first day and kind of going into your second stay what got you there yeah so my second stay i ended up going back after being in in boarding school for a year and mainly i really struggled with the transition out that first time and never really i could never really come to terms with like being out of wilderness i just didn't understand the transition i went to a boarding school in north carolina that i just didn't do well at and so i ended up going back a year later which was kind of a mutual decision in between like i had been asking for it i really wanted to go back and it was kind of a mutual decision between my therapist at the school my parents and i so i ended up going back but i didn't end up doing very well in wilderness the second time actually um and then i left i went on to another so why, why didn't you do as well the second time um so my per- the reason i didn't do well was just i just didn't do anything like i showed up and i just didn't work a program at all like i did nothing i kind of showed up and i was like i have things to say and things to do and they were like okay let's do them and say them and then i was like no um and i think the reason that i did that was i was kind of hoping that i could just go into wilderness and that it would just save me and i wouldn't have to do anything and just by being there i would become a better person um and i think a lot of it was just i just wanted to go back cuz i felt really safe in wilderness but i didn't necessarily want to do the work and i think if i remember right you like wilderness was the answer to all your problems the first time is yeah. that kind of how you felt and then it was like oh cool if i just go back on you know i'll feel great and that was really insightful for me to hear from you you know to hear your story and just that because i you know i see that sometimes with our clients where i'm like listen this this really works but but you've got to put your part mhm and yeah anyway go ahead yeah that's totally what it was just not really realizing that the first time i had actually worked like it just felt like the wilderness took away all my problems but i i did work really hard my first time it just came more naturally i guess than the second time i was kind of more beat down from being in treatment a year and not doing well at this school and way more depressed and i was a really angsty just 14 years old and you know defiant so you <laughs> you you described that first day out of wilderness is one of the loneliest days of your life and i actually quote you on this all the time with our clients 
um, you know, and tell them, Hey, like you've had a positive experience. You've, you've done amazing things and you walk out of this program and, and it's, you know, it's not going to be perfect. Do you have, do you, can you talk about that a little bit and maybe give some insight to some young people that might be just leaving wilderness right now or just left and might be struggling and, and might be listening to this podcast? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the, the difference between wilderness therapy and any other environment and is, is inevitably very big. And it's hard to, I think in my mind, I had this expectation that I was going to leave and it was all going to be the same. And, you know, that I was going to go onto this boarding school and just continue to feel great. And the truth is you leave this environment that is unlike anything else. And you're so close with all these people for however long you're there. And you get so close with the environment you leave and you're dealing with, you know, missing your group, culture shock, anxiety of wherever you're going next, anxiety of if you're going to fail or not fail. And in my mind, I just didn't understand that I, you know, I actually had to carry some of it with me. I had to like take what I had learned that, and, and in my mind, I was like, I can, I can only do well in the woods. And it was kind of compartmentalizing that, that I had a I couldn't understand like that you can actually bring it with you or leave it there. And I just didn't really understand that. I didn't understand too, like kind of the same thing. Like my mindset was that it was the woods that had saved me, not myself, mm-hmm. which is not true because I, I saved myself and the woods helped me bring that out. But I just couldn't understand that. I couldn't distinguish it. So how do programs like ours help you how can we, how can we do better at helping uh, the young people in that process and how do you make sense of that with because sometimes we get we get this question from parents before they come their their children come is like great so they thrive in your program but but your program isn't quote unquote real life right and and it's a fair question so what how did you find a way to carry that over into your real life and i loved what you just said like I did the work. I was the one that made the change. The woods helped me. But how did you help connect those dots practically when you when you kind of left? Well, honestly, I don't think I did for like seven years. <laughs> <laughs> like I really don't think I understood it until I was an adult leaving wilderness for like the third time. Or maybe like when, you know, maybe I was like 15 and I realized it. But uh, that first time I really never did, honestly. Um, I got really depressed and just could not understand why I could not do well. Um, and was just convinced that the only way I could do well again was if I went back to the wilderness. But, um, my opinion on, on how that could have been better for me. Um, cause I always say like the transition is going to be hard no matter what because it's it's really shocking to leave that environment and there's a lot of fear that comes with it especially when it's therapeutic and you're leaving and going into the unknown and not really knowing if you're going to do well or not that's a big fear of students and the honestly I think I really think it would have helped if when I was leaving that first time somebody was somebody just told me it's going to suck Marley 
you know, but you can do it, but it's going to suck because I left with this idea that it was like, I don't know. I just thought it was going to be all rainbows and unicorns and all these staffers sitting there saying, Oh, it's not going to be hard, Marley. It's going to be great. You're going to kick ass and all this stuff. And I just really thought that it would, I didn't realize how hard it would be. And it's so tempting for us. And it's something that I've been talking to our staff about because of what you said, you know, we, 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 you know, we've seen the change. We see a two, three month, like we see this huge turnaround and we want to feel like, Oh, we were a part of that. And it's easy mm-hmm. to pump someone up when they're leaving and be like, yes, you're, you're this, you know, the shining beacon on top of a hill right now. And, and anyway, I, it's, it's helped give me perspective on saying like, yeah, you're in a great spot, mm-hmm. but, but moving forward, be aware of that. I think that's really good advice and, and something that in the, in the industry in wilderness therapy that I know when we were all there talking about it, everybody was kind of like, oh, wow. We didn't realize that pumping you up could actually be destructive. Mm-hmm. So... What so so your second stay, you're struggling, not getting anything out of it. What was and so where did you go from there? Um, they I was pretty much kicked out my second time. Uh, my therapist at the time was just like, you know, we love you, Marley, and we want to help you, but you're not doing anything. And this is a short-term program, and you've been here for seven weeks and you you're still on harm watch and you're still, you know, you still have to sleep next to staff and there's not really, we can't do anything for you if you don't want to. And so, you know, they weren't like angry. They very lovingly kicked me out, um, pushed me on to the next step. And I ended up going to another therapeutic boarding school. And, and so what happened there and then how did you, what brought you to wilderness at a third time um so i left wilderness the second time pretty low spirit and uh, went on to this school i was there at this school for two years and sh- struggled for the most part like the greater length of my stay with just i think i had just been i had been in treatment for a long time at this point like i was going on year two of being in treatment not being home and uh i think it kind of you know, I got caught up in this mental cycle, like thinking I was a mental patient and kind of crazy person, which is another thing that speaks to leaving wilderness is it's hard to find environments that are focused on wellness as much as wilderness is. And my experience going into boarding school is that they treated me pretty, like I was pretty sick and threw a lot of diagnoses on me and kind of made me, I kind of got in this weird headspace where I was I was a mental person and I struggled for like the greater part of a year with just that and just being crazy and acting crazy <clears throat> and then finally started to settle down and left in 2013 so I'd been in treatment for three years straight when I left um went out and did all right for like a year afterwards and then when I was 18, came back and I asked to go back to wilderness as an adult, um, struggling with more like addiction issues. What was your third stay like? 
My third stay was the most meaningful stay. Um, I think that a really big part of it was, for one, I was really prepared. Like I knew, I knew what was wilderness was going to be like. I knew what the transition was going to be like. I knew what going in was going to be like. I knew the whole deal, and that obviously helped a lot. Um, but also, I really wanted it that time. And I wanted it the second time, and I wanted it parts of the first time too, but um, I like, really wanted it the third time. Like I was at my own personal breaking point, and I just was finally ready to be honest, which was something I don't think I was ever ready to do the entire three years that I was in treatment. I was finally ready to be honest and finally ready to just, just you know, feel better because I had been feeling really bad for a lot of years. Do you attribute that to maturing and being a little older in, in your entry, or was it just more time spent, you know, working on yourself? Um, I think a little bit of both. I think, you know, I was older, but I think, honestly, like, a lot of it was just that I was sick of sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> yeah. I hear you on that one for sure. <laughs> yeah. I can respect that. I, you know, the research has been pretty clear that, um, you know, the, the outcomes can be really powerful if, if the person feels like they need it and they're ready for the change. And um, that's something that we've been researching, you know, all programs across the board. And I think is a really uh, important statistic um what what is it specifically that you did at wilderness that that helped you you know like activities is there are there certain stories or moments that stick out to you that really had a profound impact on you in your program um hiking was a big one just being out in nature obviously but hiking i think like all three wait, wait, times wait, wait, that I was in. Hold on. You said being out in nature. Obviously. You said being out in nature, obviously, but that's not that obvious for a yeah. lot of people. So what, what about being out in nature? If you don't mind. Um, well, right. I forget that that's not obvious to other people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nature is, I mean, to me, it's so healing. And so, I mean, when you strip down everything, like getting out into the wilderness, you're stripping down all these layers of distraction, like phones and TVs and all this communication and news and everything that's going on in the outside world. You strip down everything and it's just you in the woods. And I hated that at first. You know, when I first got there, I was like, I cannot be here for longer than like two days. I cannot live out in the wilderness like this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like it smells bad out here it's campfire is gross like all this stuff you know and I had spent like a fair amount of time in nature as a kid um and I still was like no way but I think as I came to find I think a lot of people come to find is that it's I mean you know there's this unexplainable healing power in nature it's just natural and you know it's, it's like getting down to the roots it's like grounding yourself you strip down everything and just, you know, you, you're just with yourself out in the nature, in the nature. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, 
yeah, I don't know. It's kind of unexplainable. I think you did a good job explaining it. <laughs> Thank you. So you were saying kind of the other, the hiking, what other activities really impacted you? Well, the hiking, I just, all three times that I was in wilderness had weird date correspondences. Like I was there at very similar times of the year, all three times. And all three times, my last hike was like this crazy backcountry, like two day long, insane hike, which I always thought was really funny that because it, it, the hikes really symbolized a lot for me of, of like, you know, just like pushing through the pain and climbing up mountains and stuff. Um, you know, a lot of the hard skills that we did, like that bow drilling and carving our own spoons and stuff, a lot of that was, was pretty symbolic for me. Can, can you explain what bow drilling is to someone that might not know? What? Can you explain bow drilling to someone that yeah. might not know? It is making fire with sticks. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like making fire with your own hands. The like primitive way of making fire. Um, with so you made fires with with your hands and sticks. Okay. And so <laughs> I know the answer to this, but I want to hear you. What the hell does that have to do with depression and? anxiety and turning your life around i mean i'm in my person i know that at, at second nature they have like a, a great old like metaphor for all of the different parts of bow drilling but i don't remember any of that but to me the bow drilling like all of the hard skills all of it just symbolize like look how much you can do and it also it feels really good to bust your own fire especially, and bow drilling is hard. I actually, fun fact, went out to the desert two days ago and tried to bow drill um, on my own time and couldn't do it. And it was very frustrating. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like bow drilling is really hard. It's a really frustrating process. And when you finally bust that ember, it's one of the best feelings in the world. And it is very symbolic for an emotional journey of you know, dealing with all the pain and, and frustration and for that breakthrough. That's cool. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, um, and how does that, how would that carry over to your life now? I mean, I think that's what a lot of people are wondering is how does it carry over? And I, I think it does. You obviously do, but can you maybe put some words to that? Um, it just, specifically from the time I was 13, like I look back on that all the time when I'm struggling and I'm like, if I could go 13 or how long was I there? 11 weeks in the wilderness by making, you know, fire with my hands and carrying everything I needed on my back and never using a toilet and, you know, having, doing that at 13 years old, I'm pretty sure I can do anything. And it just, like, it just made me feel so strong. And it's still like all three times, specifically the first time, because that, you know, it was a really new experience that I didn't think I could do. And I ended up loving it. But all three times, it's like it makes you feel so strong and empowered and like, you know, like you can do it. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I um and we and we're lacking that in society nowadays, right? Like life's pretty comfy for all of us, kids, adults, yeah. everybody in you know, 
I, we're, we're losing something by losing those experiences and mm-hmm. you don't need a wilderness therapy program to get that right. And, right. But, but it's a really powerful way to, to introduce that level of confidence into a young person's life in a way that you're right. You know, we get that too all the time, students leaving and saying, man, if I can do this, damn, I can mm-hmm. do college or whatever yeah. it may be. And it's funny you mentioned hiking because hiking is the activity that our clients hate the most. But no, they will, I hate it the most too. <laughs> yeah, but, but they will all admit it, it had the most powerful impact on them. And yeah, absolutely. It's always at the end too. And I'm like, all right, you know, like, what do you think? And they're like, oh, I hated hiking, but it was the most important part of the program. So right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I agree. So I actually want to, Rob, um, I want to kind of get your thoughts, Rob, on as a parent and as a professional and, you know, you're an educational consultant. You're the one that's supposed to know, right? And, and how was this whole process for you with your daughter being, needing help and, and having her go through these programs? Tell us, talk to us, ma'am. <laughs> wow, what a question, Andrew. Marley, it's been thrilling to, to listen to you and answer Andrew's questions. Just thrilling. Um, so thank you, Andrew. Oh boy, what a big question. You know, as you just heard from Marley, it's, you know, from the day that we first decided to do wilderness to now, that's a seven, eight year journey you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how was it for me? I'll, I'll give you a few, a few things. Um, uh, I'll say this to, you know, people that wonder about having an educational consultant. Um, I am an educational consultant. I know programs. I know treatment. I'm a therapist. I've done countless, you know, programs and workshops with that I've led with families. And, and I realized pretty quickly that I, I couldn't see the, the forest for the trees. And I went ahead and hired an educational consultant. Um, you know, so that was a big thing for me. It wow. Was a, good good um, for you, man. Yeah, that would take guts. Yeah, you know, you're listening to Marley talk about after the first wilderness experience, um, she went to a boarding school and, um, you know, that whole ordeal there, we, I think, happened because we didn't have a consultant and we were looking at it inaccurately and we made a bad choice um, and, and then I went ahead and hired a consultant and things things went better um, <laughs> it's true true statement so you know uh, I'll, I'll speak to that um, it was uh, you know another thing I'll speak to is um, the um, Oh, the, the extreme challenge of, of uh, being a professional, helping others, but having um, children, plural, that struggle and, and um, feeling at first like a, a failure. Like how in the world can I help other people if, um, if my child is in a wilderness therapy program? And uh, ultimately, you know, after lots of personal work and lots of changing perspectives, I, I've come around to understanding that 
um, in no way does that make me a failure um, and in no way does that make me a bad consultant in fact it's it's given me oh, a lot more empathy for for my clients um, and a better understanding of what people are, are going through when they're when they're choosing a treatment program it's taught me a ton about how to help others um, and uh, it's taught me a, a, a ton about how to help others do their own personal work. I don't know. I could say a lot more, Andrew. Guide me. What else do you want to hear about? <laughs> I want to hear, did you have a moment where you were like, I sh and, and I, I, you and I talk openly all the time, uh, but did you have a moment where you're like, man, I, I should know better because? <laughs> did you have that moment? And how did you accept that? Because I think... A lot of parents, this is heartbreaking process. They've got to grieve and mourn the fact that their child's going to miss out on, on what they expected as a typical, you know, adolescent experience, missing prom, whatever that means if, as they start this process. But I see a lot of our parents in, in, that are just like, what did we do wrong? And it's not always the parents. Yeah, I... I don't even want to admit how much I had to go through that, you know, after having helped so many families through it, it, it I was blind to my own grieving process. Cause that's really what you're talking about is the grieving process that's inherent in, in choosing a treatment program. And um, the way I see it is you do, there's just no way around. Like after you place a kid in the, in the wilderness, you're just going to go through, um, terror, guilt, shame, um, you know, it's, it's just what parents go through. I, I've watched it with, I think, just about all of my clients who have placed their kids in a wilderness program, and I was not spared that experience. I, I went through intense grief and shame. What have I done wrong? Why are we here? I can't, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. This isn't what I intended. But, but of course, what, what's on the other side of that, which which took a long time for, for our family to get to. And for, you heard Marley talk about how long it took for her to get to true, true acceptance and true acceptance is, you know, what, what is, is just fine. It's just fine. And it's so wonderful to get to genuine acceptance and surrender and letting go and, and accepting the truth of things. And you know what, it just wasn't so bad after all. So, so yeah, it was a pretty intense process to go through all that. Thanks for sharing that, man. I appreciate it. So, Second Nature Blue Ridge, uh, Marley's out there busting fires, climbing mountains. What for those that might be starting this process? What was your journey while Marley was in the wilderness? How did the program work with you? What helped? What what realizations did you come to? Did you visit her? Can you maybe talk about that a little bit? Well, as you heard Marley say, there was three different, you know, we used Second Nature Blue Ridge three times, and each one was distinctly different and had a different purpose, different flavor to it. The, the first time was all that fear and terror and the grieving and the shame that I just talked about. And, and, um, and, and then having to come to a place of accepting that Marley would go on to boarding school which of course I'd helped many hundreds of families down that road before, but when it came to me, I was not at all accepting of it. it, it that, that's not a pill that went down easily. 
And, um, and so that, you know, that, that journey, uh, you know, that was a long time ago and we, you know, it is what it is. I, I think what I'd like to do is talk more about the, the last journey, cool. um, which was, what was that Marley? Two years ago. It's called, it's like a year and a half ago now. Um, summer 2016. And it's really interesting because, uh, that one, Marley was quite adamant that she needed it and wanted it. And I was reluctant. I did not want to do it again um, for a whole bunch of reasons. I really felt like, you know, the days of using big dollar, big drama interventions to, to do, you know, make change. I felt like, you know, we did that and, and, you know, to spend that kind of money and time and effort again didn't seem worthwhile. And so I had resistance. I, I was quite reluctant. I didn't want to pay. And I, w- I was angry about it all. Um, and and uh, Marley was in a really compromised and, and negative place in her life, having used a bunch of substances that, that she spoke about a little bit. And um, so, you know, I was not optimistic, and I got to say um, that was the most real experience of them all. I think just what Marley said, she really needed it, she really wanted it, and she somewhat had to fight us for it. And I think that was all part of the the successful outcome. Marley Marley fought fought for it and and went for it and demanded it. I will say that I you know one of the big things for me that I'll talk about even even with my professional hat on that uh, I one of the fears I had was that another round in in big treatment setting a a big treatment setting would bring Marley back to what she talked about that feeling that she's crazy grabbing onto labels identifying as a psychiatric patient Um, you know that just I, I was bristling up against that because I had a very strong feeling that things, you know, that, we, that Marley was over pathologizing herself and, and that the world was over pathologizing her. And, and Marley, I give you tremendous credit for, you know, just staying true to yourself. And, and, and that experience is where you, I think, came away from labels and pathology and took a good, clean, hard look at who you are and what you need and, and you stood up for yourself and you asked for what you needed. And in the end, I had immense respect for, for what you did. And so, uh, you know, you, you are the reason you got such a good outcome and you, you've pointed that out. And it's taught me, Andrew, in my work to um, jump a lot, a lot uh, less easily at, at treatment and make people work for it and demand it and, and feel the need for it before they go. Because that's a, a really essential ingredient, I think, in, in, in the outcomes. Yeah, definitely. I, when you were down here last, we talked at length about kind of what you're saying about over-pathologizing. And I, you, know, you hesitate to use the word over-diagnosing. Um, and Marley, you also touched on it as well. But just this this feeling of like I'm broken, and how, how Rob is the professional? How do we how do we walk that line? You know these diagnoses are real, these issues are real, 
how do we know when we're getting we're you know we're overdoing it or a client is buying into it too much and you know we say it all the time you're not broken but there are some realities here they have to deal with i know this is something that you've thought a lot about what are your thoughts well i think that a simple shift um just a fundamental and very simple shift can can help a lot and that's from the question of what's wrong to the question what works we we've we've come, there's a culture in the united states these days uh in the mental health circles that i you know i, I that mental health that psychology is you know is medicine that it fits into the medical model and i actually agree on some levels that it needs to be in the medical model and there's certain people that we need to approach with the medical model which is you know simply we need to very accurately diagnose what the problem is using objective measures and then we need to offer the best treatment um, that is research-based and of course that sounds really smart and wise um, but it's also limiting, it pigeonholes us, and it focuses us, on, it gives us this idea that we can remove from a human being problems. And, and we actually can, and there's merit to doing the research and, and knowing how to remove problems. But what I found in my work is that it's a lot kinder to approach somebody and say, I'm not even gonna try to remove your problems. I'm going to accept you how you are and I'm going to help you be with what is true and real for you. And I'm going to help you struggle because you're a human being and human beings struggle and they have pain and they have trauma and they have wounds. So to perpetuate this myth to people that we can go and remove from them the, the problem and the struggle, I think is actually unkind. It lacks compassion. And so what I found is that if you just shift from, I'm gonna approach you, client, human being, you know, with looking for what's wrong with you and shift that to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna accept who you are and help you find what works for you. you. You still get to do all the same things. You still get to assess how the person is built. You still get to go through their developmental history. You still get to look at their traumas and their wounds. You still get to look at their cognitive functioning and their processing and you just do it with a slightly different angle um, and it's so much kinder and I, I find that people engage more and then they're they're willing to work and, and then we don't have to do what you know what we had to do with Marley which is you know convince a person that they're they're actually not broken and that there's nothing wrong with them that they're just fine how they are and and you know I see people get stuck in the mental health world, identifying with you know their problem and their and and relying on others to make things okay. Now, don't get me wrong; some people need that. That's necessary for some people. But the the vast majority of, of clients who come my way are, are going to benefit more from from that kinder approach. I, I love that. You know, it reminds, it reminds me. Of Martin Seligman in his book Flores talks about this and how he said as a professional, he spent so much time trying to remove symptoms 
and and he said what he would end up with is not a healthy client but um an empty client you know that had that didn't you know had nothing and so he said what he's what he found is he he had more success in teaching them how to live in his words heroically day to day with with what they're dealing with and that's something that I've really held on to as well. And it's, it's not a promise of you'll never suffer again, but it's a, it's a promise of, Hey, um, you know, we're going to get to a healthy place and this, what you're carrying will make you an amazing person. If you allow it, it'll make you compassionate and kind and insightful and you'll help so many other people. If you can learn how to manage your challenges. And so anyway, um, Love it, Andrew. Yeah, well, the point, you know, we've, we've got a lot of parents in, in the United States that are quite focused on what's wrong with their kid. And unfortunately, we're not going to get a kid where we want them to go by solving the problems. You know, you, re, you remove all the problems and you don't actually get anywhere. And then you also create a human being who doesn't know how to solve their problems. So we lack resilience, we lack life skills, we lack creative problem solving skills. So, so it's really important that we don't um, focus, uh, you know, our parenting uh, on so- solutions-based parenting. And it's not, that's actually not good for our kids. Marley, I would love to hear your thoughts your on thoughts. that. You, you have lived this. And mm-hmm. What do you think about what we're talking about? Um, I, I really love what you said. I haven't like, I haven't heard it in that kind of, in those words before. And I really loved it. The, uh, like you can't, you know, it's part of human process to struggle and you can't take that away. I really liked what you said about, you know, I'm going to help you struggle. Um, and I would have loved that if some of the places I've been were, were like that. Um, because I, my experience was that I was absolutely the kid who got stuck in the cycle. And uh, to, the, to the point where I could, didn't really know how to function in the real world anymore, which I think um, played a big part in me eventually returning to wilderness and as an adult was because I felt for a long time that I couldn't function in the world um, as like a average human being that I was different and sick and more crazy than everyone else. Um, and I, and I just, I absolutely agree that the difference that could have been made with me and can probably be made with a lot of people is, was just the difference of sickness and wellness, that question of what's wrong and what's going well, because my experience for the better part of those three years that I was in treatment was that a lot of it was just so focused on sickness. And then I would, you know, like swoop down to that level and feel sick and start acting sick. And then just a bunch of sicknesses were just thrown on me over and over. Like I've, I think I had like 10 diagnoses or something of like things I didn't, you know, things that I wouldn't consider myself having, like, you know, like dissociative disorder. And I mean, and maybe I do have that, but I don't really care, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's the thing is I just don't really care. Like they just eventually labeled me with all these things and I, and then told me like it was going to fix it. 
they sat me down one day and just labeled off all these diagnoses. And then I don't know what they, like, it kind of felt like they were expecting, like, now you know what's wrong with you. And I was like, okay, (laughs) like, what? (laughs) Like, great. So I'm, I'm really messed up in the head. Like, what am I supposed to do now? And then it kind of gave me an excuse to be all messed up. Like for a year, I was literally psychotic. And I think a lot of it was probably subconsciously and a little bit consciously of my, like my own doing, because I was like, well, I'm crazy. So I'm going to act crazy, you know? Um, And I think that it would have made a huge difference if, if, you know, instead we could have focused more on what was going well and focused more on, I, I feel like the diagnoses didn't need to be mentioned as much as they were. And it could have just been more about, you know, what are we going to do about the way you feel? Yeah. Um, and the third time that I went into wilderness, I, this was another big part of why I did well in wilderness was that I came in and I was really ready to leave all of that behind. And so there was a little bit of fear for me, the same fear that my dad had going in of like, is she just going to latch on to this cycle again? And I was a little afraid of that too. Like, what if I go back in and I just become a mental patient again? But I was really ready to leave that behind. Like I got... What? What got you to the place of being ready to leave that behind? I mean, it sounds like you're in a really unhealthy place. And, and how did you get the awareness to be like, I got to get out of this like diagnosis hole that I've ended up in? Well, because I went crazy. I mean, I, I felt like I went crazy, at least by the, that summer of 2000. I was pretty close to like death. Honestly, I was, I was pretty close to like not making it just because I was, you know, I mean, and I had turned to, like we've mentioned before, substances and alcohol and just anything to run and disappear from everything that I felt inside. And I felt so chaotic and crazy inside. And like, I just was really, I think a lot, the root of it, a lot of it was, I just feel like I can't exist in this world. Um, And so I just did anything I could to escape and feel more comfortable in my own skin. And that led me down a really dark path. And by the end of it, in my mind, it was kind of like, okay, I either do something once and for all to get out of this or I'm going to die. Wow. I don't know if you remember seeing the before and after photos. Mm -hmm. We showed at that presentation, Andrew, but it's quite profound to see what the before and after. I, I want to grab onto something you said, Marley. You talked about wellness, mm-hmm. and, and that's another subtle shift to, to move from a sickness model to a wellness model. Mm-hmm. Again, same, same thing. Um, we can do all the same things, but instead of asking the question, what's wrong, you ask the question, how do I get well? And, and so, you know, you get, again, you get to really think through how am I built? Who am I? What are my needs? And what am I going to do to be well? Um, and it's a, just a kinder, more positive and optimistic way to approach a human being. And most of my clients appreciate that. 
And I believe most wilderness programs, including yours, Andrew, to be wellness oriented. You know, you cause somebody to go to sleep with the darkness and wake up with the sunlight and get in touch with their own biorhythms of, of sleep and I swear moisture and altitude and all the things that you, you are just attuning to when you're outdoors all day and you drink water and you move around in the sunlight and you look a, another person in the eye without a device and you sit around a campfire and you tell the truth, you know, you do those things there. Those are just, you know, really good for the human soul and for the human body and, and for our brains. And, and, and so you, you know, you look at the before and after pictures for just about anyone who goes to the wilderness, but especially look at Marley who really was looking like death. Like she looked like death the day that she went back the last time and, and to see the photos of her at the end, she's like a, a, a plant that just got water watered and has sprouted back up. And, uh, you know, that's why I love wilderness and wilderness therapy because um, it's just the, you don't have to make that stuff up. That's not contrived. That's, that's just built into the experience. And, and, and then, you know, the therapy and everything that gets learned is a bonus on top of that. Yeah. (laughs) Rob, the, you and I had a great conversation about intuition and that you really believe along this wellness conversation that, intuitively even young people we all kind of know what's good for us intuitively and that if we can tap into that intuition and get healthy then then we'll find our own answers it's not that we always need someone else telling us we got to do this this and this but we'll we'll make those discoveries along the way with some with some help do you want to talk about that for a sec of course i do but the thing that i I stand for more than anything else in my career right now is listening to young people. We've, we've got a culture where young people are, are not being listened to and they're not being taught how to listen to themselves. Most of my clients and, and you know, my clients come from sophisticated families that want their kids to go to college and have careers. And so they've started from a young age uh, providing services for their kids, so they've got a, a, a therapist, and they've got they've you know gone to the tester, and they're working with a tutor, and me, an educational consultant, and my, my clients have a team of people that are telling the kid, "This is who you are. This is how you're built. This is what you should do. This is what your interests are. This is the path that, that you should take." And, and I, I think we've we're actually teaching kids not to listen to themselves. We're, 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 in, we're training them from a young age to, to accept the advice of others as, as the experts who know better than, than they do. And, and no, I am an expert who gives advice and helps people find the right path. And, and I believe in that. We need, we need professionals. We need this stuff. But not, not as a substitute for teaching a kid to listen to themselves and find their own way because it is true in in our the human being is hardwired to learn and heal and grow those things are going to happen naturally And, and a good helper a good therapist a good guide a good consultant isn't just going to tell the person where to go they're they're going to help them listen to themselves another 
really strong quality in, in a good wilderness therapy program. You have that opportunity. Thanks, Andrew. And we've, you know, it's interesting, Rob, because you mentioned being problem solvers earlier, and that's something I've been thinking about a ton lately. And I've been reading up on iGen, right? The, the generation right behind the millennials, adolescents right now, they're just starting to hit college. And they're really, like the defining characteristic of this generation is safety. They're, they're, they're sort of retreating. Um, in some ways, it's good. In some ways, you know, less car accidents, less risky behavior, all these things. But in a lot of ways, they are not even, they're not, they're not even leaving childhood. It's not, we're not even talking about not transitioning into, into young adulthood now. We're talking about not leaving, being 18 years old and still being childlike. And, and that, you know, what I keep coming back to again in my head, the word problem solver, problem solvers. We've got we've to figure out how to make, you know, help this generation be their own problem solvers and I've asked this question a lot on the podcast and just to professionals in general, but why are good, well-intentioned, amazing parents over-parenting across the board? And the irony of this is I'm a Gen Xer. We weren't raised this way, but we're raising our kids this way. We were not over-parented, but we are totally blowing it in, in, in a, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but across the board, we're intervening, we're helping, we're fixing. And it's all comes from a place of love and wanting the best for your kids. And you can't blame anyone for that. But in your opinion, where's the overparenting coming from? Where's the parental anxiety coming from? And, and why are we not talking about that more? Oh, boy, Andrew, what a, another enormous question. Well, I'll point to a few different things. Uh, one is what what I just said. I think there's a culture in the, especially the wealthier neighborhoods uh, in some of the bigger cities in the U.S. and the suburbs, uh, where you know the right thing to do as parents is to get your your child on a college-bound career path um, and make sure they get into the best schools. And if you're, you want your kid into the best schools, then you got to get them into the best kindergarten. And if you want to get them into the best kindergarten, then you need to take them to the tester at like age four. And unfortunately, that's where kids are picking up some of their first diagnoses and getting some of their first helpers. And I don't think parents mean to, to over-parent or or get on that path, they just do, because it's part of the culture. You know, I was talking with a mom from New Jersey yesterday, and she was commenting on this. She said, I, I can't believe what I've done. I've overparented my child, and now he's sitting in my basement, and he won't go anywhere. I mean, she literally said it like that, and it, it was saying, I, you know, I was unsuspected. I didn't know that's what I was doing. And, and now I'm looking for a wilderness program because I, I want my son to get some grit. And, and uh, you know, I thought it was a really insightful uh, person. We were having a really interesting conversation. And she did mention, you know, she said that the culture in, in her town in New Jersey is that, you know, if you're not doing, you know, if you're only doing six things to help your kid, you're a lame parent. You have to be doing like 42 things 
you know, going to these clubs and these sports and these doctors and these professionals. And, and if you're, if you're not, then you're a slacker as a parent. So I, you know, I think it's deeply in the culture right now. And I don't think the, the medical model um, in, in the psychological world is helping us because, you know, if you're in that mindset and you're getting feedback from professionals that your son has a diagnosis, he has this, you know, to, to most people, it's like a disease that your, your kid has caught. And that's not, not really what's happening, you know, with ADD or depression or anxiety or, or addiction, which are the major ones that we, we see in our world. You know, there, there's other reasons for that. That's, it's not just a disease, you know, these, so, so that, that, that kind of thinking combined with this kind of parenting, I think has caused a, an epidemic of overparenting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a tough one. And it's a, it, as you mentioned, it's a community problem. You know, it's the same conversation. I, I spoke to a group out in LA last week about the technology and that's debilitating this, this younger generation. And it's not, you know, I've been talking to my, my family about it and my sister said, you know, it's okay, cool. So I, I, my kids aren't on technology. They go over to the neighbor's house to play. They come back three hours later. What'd you guys do? Oh, we played on iPads the whole time. You know, this is a community problem and it's easy and, and it's easy to, to have, you know, feel the pressure of how oh, my kids got to catch up or, you know, just, just to fit in. And so it's a complex issue and I don't know that we'll resolve it today, but maybe we'll resolve it next time we get together, Rob, <laughs> when we try to um, save the world. We usually um, do figure out how to save the world, Andrew. That's true. <laughs> hey, uh, Marley. So light at the end of the tunnel, how's life? What are you doing? You, you obviously sound super healthy, like tell us where you're at, what you're doing with your life. And, you know, for that young person that's listening to this podcast and is starting the process, um, advice and hope and, and on where you're at now and, and what the future looks like for you. Yeah. So life is really good now. Um, actually my biggest struggle right now is that my life is too normal <laughs> and I'm like uncomfortable with it. That's really what I've been working on. Like the last few weeks in my own life is like getting comfortable with the fact that my life is just normal now. And it's kind of uncomfortable cause it's not what I know. Um, and that's a really good struggle to be having. So, um, yeah, life I've been, so I guess I've been out of wilderness now for like a year and a half, almost two years, I think. And um, the transition out of wilderness that third time was still hard, but definitely much easier because I knew what was coming and I was pretty determined to just, you know, get my life on track. Um, and I had my ups and downs and my struggles, but uh, I have been sober now for 16 months. And, uh, you know, I still work with a therapist and I go to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and stuff. I'm still on like a, you know, path and I still work really hard to continue to, to be doing well, um, which I think I always will. But 
yeah, life is, is really just normal. Um, I am working at a ski resort as a lift operator, um, which is awesome. So I, I actually spend a lot of time outside and I do that on purpose because I feel much better outside and I definitely gain that from wilderness therapy. So I, I find ways to incorporate it into my life. Like spending a lot of time outside is very important for me. Um, and yeah, I kind I'm very passionate about helping the world of wilderness therapy. I definitely, I, I jump on these kind of opportunities because I think my experience is very um, unique and kind of like I have a lot to bring and a lot to tell people about the experience of wilderness therapy and what we can do better. Um, and that's kind of like, uh, honestly, I, I focus, I'm focusing a lot on that. And I, my, my greater goal in life is to pretty much just eventually get completely into that field. Um, yeah. Well, there's a guiding position down in Costa Rica waiting for you when you're ready. Um, so just going to dangle that out there for you. Um, you know, I think Marley it takes a lot of guts to go to wilderness and especially as a young adult, check yourself in where it's, you know, um, you, you have more say in the process and it takes even more guts to talk about it after the fact and, and share it with other people, but it does so much good for so many people. So I really appreciate you just sharing with us something very personal today. And um, yeah, just thank you. It means a lot. And I think there's a lot of young people that are going to really benefit from this conversation. And Rob, um, how about you, man? Here we are. And Marley's been through this journey. And, you know, where are you at and what advice would you give a family right now that is struggling with this thing? I mean, I think you've already given a lot of advice, but maybe just a final thought that you want to share with us. Hmm. <clears throat> well, it all feels very surrealistic now, you know, to be a, have three grown kids all in their early to mid twenties and, and all doing really well. And, being wonderful people it's it's hard to even imagine the the pain and suffering that we were going through when we first elected to to do wilderness therapy um so you know there's there's just so much gratitude that i have for the people that have helped us along the way the lessons that have been learned and more than anything for my children for doing their work and and staying with it and not giving up I really credit all of my kids and you, Marley, with with that. I mean, it's you. You've shown a, a an amazing tenacity um, and perseverance and resilience and, and grit. And I, I just, I just, just thrilling for me to hear you talk about it. So I have a lot of gratitude and and uh, and you know, there's. Plenty of struggle and pain that's still in, in life because that's, I think, part of the human condition. But man, it's, there's so much to be grateful for. And, and it's so nice to feel that. 
Awesome. Uh, Rob, Marley, that was amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And um, I look forward to catching up with both of you in person, hopefully in the near future. Yeah, Andrew, that was super sweet of, uh, you know, for us, I think, for me, for sure. I, nice to be able to look back reflectively and there's a lot to celebrate. Yep. There's a lot of struggle still. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot, you guys. Yeah, thank you.